to our study on justification by faith this morning, uh, and we left off last week in the book of Ephesians. We had compared Romans chapter 3 and the book of Ephesians, and we're focusing on how those things work together. And so I want to go back to Ephesians so we'd have some continuity there and start by reading Ephesians chapter 1. Our focus this morning is, um, is really how does time relate to justification? How does the timeline of God and the timeline of humans relate as we look at the work that God has done in sinners? And so I'll try to, to bundle the last three paragraphs of the, of the confession under that banner of time. So pay attention to that as we read, starting in verse 3 of chapter 1 from Ephesians. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as he chose us in him him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will." And we'll stop there. And so we want to pick up on three themes or three points in which time intersects this, um, this revelation which the Apostle Paul has given to us. First, we recognize that it was in the foundation of the world that God preordained to save his elect. In fact, it was according to the counsel of his will, his will not changing, that he did all these things. And he did send his son to redeem And so one might ask, well, if justification is related to eternity and the eternal will of God, is justification from the beginning? Meaning, are all people either justified or not already to God, and we merely go around trying to tell people the fact that it already is? Is that the case? Well, and then we think, but Christ himself came in the fullness of time, as it says in verse 11. I'm sorry, in verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. And we know that Jesus Christ himself is the basis for our justification, and it was his work on the cross which brought us close to God. And so perhaps we would say, well, it was in the cross when all persons were justified, before and after that, so that really all people are either justified or not right now, and you end up with something of the same theory. Is this the way God has revealed uh, it to us. But then we know that as we look closely, there is also the effect of justification to the person. And this is really what we want to labor on, the fact that when God works transcendently, he does not come and, um, as it were, work against his own creation, but his creation itself is revelatory. And so as we are in time, And as the Holy Spirit comes in time and works that justification to us, we are truly justified 
only upon faith in Christ and not before that. And we, to, to see that, we, we would be tipped off, at least, if we paid attention to that in Ephesians. If we were to look at, in Ephesians, um, it would say, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth. And you realize, okay, at some point in time, God made this known to us. And then we would say, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, this is verse 13, where we didn't read. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit as a guarantee. And so we want to look at these three things, and the point of where we're going is to say that God, when he justifies, justifies a person in time. Though the basis is Christ, and, the sovereign, and in the sovereign will and plan of God, it was set forth before the foundation of the world, God truly did in time come, and the Holy Spirit did apply Christ to his children upon the revelation and the hearing of the gospel. And so, to look at that, we want to look at, we're making a distinction between what people have commonly said, the difference between justifi- justification accomplished and justification applied. That is to say, on the cross, God accomplished all that was necessary to save his people. And yet, that does not mean that God has applied it to all. That is to say, God works by means and time to apply and accomplish all that he set forth. And this is, this is one of the great revelations that we understand all of God's grace, the whole uh, God's forbearance with all of creation and his common grace is primarily set upon this, that God has determined to work all things out for your good, brothers and sisters, for your salvation. And so he tarries with the world long and he labors over them long so that in time, someone would come to you with the good news of the gospel and say, Christ has died truly for you in so much as you believe in him. That is, Christ died for sinners like you. Come, Jesus says, all you who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That stands as much now to any sinner as it did then when Christ came. It is not that God could only say that at a moment in time, but it's, he says that to all the world in all time. Come to Christ for salvation. So we will look at how that relates. Um, so turning to Romans chapter 4, then we're back to Romans. It's kind of been our theme in justification. I apologize if I'm a little disorganized this morning, but I'll do my best. Romans chapter 4. This will t- this, in this passage, we are learning about justification accomplished, the basis of justification as we have seen before. So in Romans chapter 4, verse 24, or starting verse 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his gift, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And so in the beginning we see justification was accomplished when and where? In Christ on the cross. 
But we are connected to justification, that is, we are justified when and where? Upon faith, the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. To see this maybe more explicitly, let's take a look at some of the passages that um, are cited in, in, um, in the statement of faith in this confession of Baptists. What is cited here, and where I want to take us to linger over, is perhaps most clearly where we see this applied is in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 21. In verse 21 it says this, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. And pause and reflect on what was just said. In the apostle's mind, all were once alienated and hostile to God in mind. Truly, you were truly alienated from God and hostile before he came to you. But now the reconciliation that has happened has happened when and where? But now, that is, but now you are now that you are in faith, he has reconciled you on what basis? In his body of flesh, by his death, in order that what? In the future he may present you blameless and holy before God. Or let's turn to Titus and see some of the same things. Turn to Titus with me. Titus chapter 3 and verse 4. This is the same thing. Starting in verse 3 of chapter 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so what is this saying? Again, the same thing. Truly, all people stand condemned, guilty before God, until the Holy Spirit comes and brings salvation to them, that is, reveals to them their guilt, and in faith they cling to Christ and they are justified in Him. And so we must hold these things in reality, and really it is a great aid to us as we consider how are we to stir one another up, how are we to evangelize, knowing that God has claimed one particular glory for Himself, the glory of saving definitely from the cross all whom He saved, a perfect atonement, and yet, we as feeble creatures, knowing that we are nothing but, but God's creation in time and space, how do we give God the glory that He has revealed and yet truly be ministers of His gospel to one another? 
And we, we hold that God has sovereignly ordained it, that until a preacher would come, until a, a brother or a sister would come and proclaim the good news, and the Holy Spirit through that word would come and reveal the guilt under sin, it is not until that point, until a person truly is justified in God's sight. And when that person then is justified, the Holy Spirit comes and is the seal and the guarantee to them. And so we offer to all freely the gospel that says, come to Christ, come and he will save because he died truly for sinners like you. And so with this in mind, I'll read how our confession has summarized this, and I trust you'll see it to be a faithful summary of Scripture, where it says, God did from all eternity decree to justify all the elect, and Christ did in the fullness of time die for their sins and raise again for their justification. Nevertheless, they are not justified personally until the Holy Spirit does in due time actually apply Christ to them. Secondly, then, the second question we have in regards to time is this. We know, even just by our own experience, that though we are saved in Christ, we are tossed many times to and fro by sin. That is to say, we as sinners many times come under the burden and what we feel is the the guilt, we feel the condemnation of sin upon us, and we wonder, has God removed his justifying grace from us? And we think, is that the case? Some, many Christians of the of past have said so, that you are justified for a time, and yet you may fall away and you must be re-justified. That is, you must, by some works of your own, make amends to God. But we say, this is not what the Scripture says taught. We can, we can quote at length from, from Romans. In fact, we should just turn to Romans chapter 8 and hear the, the force with which the Apostle Paul has joined us to Christ. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's a rhetorical question, meaning no one. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up freely for us all, how will he, with not, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? That is all things needed for our salvation. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? That is before God's court. Who can make a single charge as to condemn one whom God has saved. Not even your own conscience can stand before God and condemn you if Christ has justified you. It is God who justifies. Who is condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to the slaughter. But no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it is a wonderful, wonderful truth to know that we are anchored securely by God's cross, by His atonement that actually did fully accomplish all that God intended it to do for us, depending nothing on us. It was not due to the veracity of my prayer or the earnestness of my faith, but it was because of Christ's justifying grace toward me. 
But then we ask, so I sin. Well, maybe, maybe when I sin, it's really of no account. Maybe to God, then I, all I am is innocent. Shall we sin that grace may abound? Well, no. And this is where historically, those of, in the Reformed tradition have said there's a difference between God's saving wherein he clears the guilt of the sinner for all time. And there's a difference between that and our culpability as humans. We're still responsible for that which is done in us. And we feel this. We know the weight of this. In fact, if we're talking about human experience, it's of no, uh, it should be no surprise that many of the places that are um, cited are from the Psalms. Let's turn to Psalm 89 for a moment and hear how this psalmist puts this together. Psalm 89, and for sake of time, we'll start in verse 24, and I'm going to read. Here the psalmist is reflecting on the sure and steadfast mercy of, of David, which is that, um, that patriarch who was to, typolo- was to typologically represent Christ, who truly did receive this justification. So when we read the sure mercies of God here, they are our sure mercies in Christ. And so he says, My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever. He's referring here to Christ. And my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of heaven. If his child forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules, if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments, what? Then I will punish their transgressions with the rod and their iniquity with stripes, but what? But I will not remove from him my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever, a faithful witness in the skies. And so the point of this is what? The point is that when God deals with us as sons, he deals with our sin, even as we still sin in justification. That is, we really are culpable for what we have done. Now, in our consciences, we should never stand condemned before God because we are justified. And yet, the weight of guilt is to be removed only by repentance in Christ. As 1 John says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and what? And just to forgive us our sins. That's not to say he is faithful and rejustifies us. That is to say he is already just to forgive us our sins because of what Christ has done in our behalf. Remember Psalm 32, where the psalmist says, well, we can, we can turn there, if you will. But the psalmist says, I, I hid my iniquity. And what did he get through that? Um, set chapter, verse 3 of Psalm 32. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But what? I acknowledge my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. 
Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And so we take several applications away from this teaching. These applications are, well, first, when we sin, though we are justified in God, ought we to feel as though God's wrath is upon us, that we are condemned before God? We say no. We ought to recognize that the mercy and grace of God is sufficient to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then are we to say, well, if I already stand justified, I have no need of repentance. I have no need of going to Christ. I have no need to ask that he would cleanse my conscience, that he would renew in me a right spirit. We say, absolutely not. In fact, quite the opposite. It is God's good providence to deal with us as with sons, to lay his rod upon us, to help us to know the true sinfulness of sin. And so in this, we return to Christ and we say, Lord, I have sinned. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And so, in summary of this doctrine, I'll read then the paragraph, and I, I trust you'll find it faithful. Paragraph 5 says, God continues to forgive the sins of those that are justified. And although they can never fall from that state of justification, yet they may by their sins fall into God's fatherly displeasure. And in that condition, they usually do not have the light of his countenance restored to them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. And that brings us then to the final way in which time begs the question of just it begs the question um, or, or raises a question in regards to justification. If we are justified now by Christ's cross, and we are after Christ's cross, what about those saints who were before Christ's cross? Were they justified by some other means? Was there some other basis for their justification? Or did God make that known to them by some other way, as if the Holy Spirit was not unto them? And we, we deny this. We say there is only one justifier, one basis for justification, it is Christ. There is only one way in which we are truly justified in time and space, and that is through the Holy Spirit, who comes and reveals Christ to them. And so we deny on all counts that there is in any way in, that we have talked about justification in these, in these lessons. In no way is that different to us now than it is to those saints of old who saw that Christ would send a Redeemer and would save them from their sins by faith in Christ alone. And we could go to a couple places to look at this if we, if we would choose. We already read in Romans 4 how in God's divine forbearance he had passed over their sins, that in the fullness of time, in Christ, he would show Christ to be a true Savior and a true Redeemer, to show God to be just and the justifier. We might turn to Galatians where God says that before the gospel was revealed, he preached the gospel to Abraham, saying, in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That is, the Gentiles truly were already proclaimed to be included in the good news of God. And in this, Abraham believed, and it was counted to him as righteousness. The gospel has been active to all saints in all time, and God has not saved in any way apart from this gospel. And so, with those exhortations, we will conclude our study on justification. But I would, since... It seems like it's my habit to end at least 10 minutes early. Ask if there's any 
questions or clarifications or things that we can ask one another or encourage one another with? Yes. Yes, our unity and bond with Christ is on no sure, there are no surer grounds than what we have because it is of God himself. He has taken upon himself personally that covenant union between him and his people, and there is nothing that can separate us from that. It's good reflection, brother. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for the grace of God revealed in Christ, and we thank you for the sure and steady anchor of our souls. We thank you for the great high priest who stands daily and intercedes for us. Lord, it is this intercession for us before God that we see as grounds for great hope in this life. Lord, we thank you for coming to us at a point in time, revealing to us the the profound mysteries of Christ and giving us trust in Him. Lord, though that time for some of us was um, late in life and for some of us it was before we have memory, yet Your Holy Spirit works to receive all those, to give, unto the, give the things of Christ unto all those who are His. And we give You all the praise and the glory and the thanks in Your name. Amen.